Hi, and welcome to Chatty AF, the anime feminist podcast. My name is Caitlin Moore, and I'm one of the managing editors for Anime Feminist and reviewer at Anime News Network. You can find me on Twitter at Altsoon and Nodere. And with me today are my fellow staff member Meru and repeat contributor Tony Sun to talk about Death Parade. Go ahead and introduce yourselves, guys. Hi, I'm Tony Sun. Uh, I have written for Anime Feminist, including um, articles on Sarazamai and Madoka. Um, and I'm a teacher and, uh, sometimes I do a little organizing on the side, but I am, yeah, I try to keep doing anime writing, um, usually from an abolitionist perspective. Hello. And I am your arbiter, Meru, and here at <laughs> oh the Anime Feminist Bar, we stand feminism, naturally. You can find me on Twitter at, uh, Pixelated Lenses where I am continuing to be awesome and uh, just doing a lot of things like light novel editing, visual novel editing, and uh, just being me. I forgot to mention, you can find me on Twitter at, at Poet Pedagogue. Oh, did I even say I also work at Anime Feminist? Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I got so into the bit that I forgot. I'm a, I'm a staff editor. You know, people already know that if they've heard me on this podcast, whatever. <laughs> I mean, every episode could be someone's first episode. Oh, that so, is true. Um, just as a quick uh, explanation for our listeners. So we're going to be doing something a little bit different this time from usual. Uh, as I was getting ready for, to do this retrospective, I saw Tony and Meru's amazing con- contributions to the to the show notes. And I said, oh my God, there's no way that we're going to be able to talk about this whole thing in one hour, but there's so much important stuff to talk about. And a watch-along format doesn't really work because to talk about the show's themes um, in a really in-depth way, you really have to talk about it as a whole. So we are going to just do a two-hour recording. We're going to find a split somewhere in the middle about an hour in. And hopefully it'll be a neat stopping point and we'll just kind of see where that falls. We're playing it by ear here. It'll all work out. It'll all work out. It'll be great. Uh, let me tell you about Death Parade. Um, by the way, there will be spoilers uh, all throughout this episode. There is no, just no talking about Death Parade without spoiling the big ending. Well, not big ending twist, but multiple twists throughout the show i also think maybe we should lay down some content warnings up front you know what that is a good idea yeah so like i would say content warning for death by suicide suicidal ideation self-harm um sexual assault in conversation about Mm -hmm. sexual assault uh physical abuse Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. sexism Like, this show really, really hits on a lot of things that I think seven years after its creation are still quite poignant. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, it's a show about death and how people died and bringing out, deliberately bringing out the ugliness in people. I suppose in its own way, death is always topical. It's, yeah, it is, um, really digs pretty fearlessly into some really 
hairy stuff. So if you're sensitive to anything, pretty much any possible topic surrounding death, uh, be cautious with this one. Mm. So, you know what? I'm just going to start with the first episode summary and go from there. A man and a woman arrive in a bar with no memory of how they got there. And a man, the bartender tells them that they are going to play a game with their lives at stake. Gasp. And they are going to play, they are playing darts. But the darts are connected to their body, to their nerves. And so hitting the targets will cause each other great pain. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. As the series unfolds, uh, we discover that this is a way of judging them, uh, how, judging them for the afterlife specifically, whether they will be reincarnated or consigned to the void. Uh, this is disrupted by the arrival of a young woman who has no memories of her life whatsoever. And she becomes an assistant to Deckham, the bartender, in his bar, Quinn Deckham. I think that's like a solid, that's a solid overview, right? Thank like, you. Yeah. Thank you for the, the encouragement. It's earnest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, Death Parade is the first major work of the director, Yuzuru Tachikawa. Um, it was spun off of the short Death Billiards, which was produced as part of the Young Animator Training Project in 2013, um, which is a kind of a springboard for new animators at major studios to create something, show their chops. Um, and so Yuzuru Tachikawa made basically an episode of this where they're playing billiards then went on a couple years later to create a full TV series. Um, he wrote it and he directed it and he created the concept. It is a hundred percent his baby. And I think that's really interesting because uh, Yuzuru Tachikawa's um, probably best known work at this point is um, Mob Psycho 100, which he, he didn't uh, write or create it, but he did direct it and I would say that Mob Psycho 100 has some very uh, intense direction. <laughs> oh, did, uh, did Decadence not make that much of a splash? To be no, I was going to say that. I oh, was going to so say. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was going to say that he also directed Decadence, which I don't think actually did make that much of a splash. Um, I don't know about the general anime sphere, but I know that a lot of people at Anifem kind of felt like it pulled back a little bit at the end well but, i think that what's really mm -hmm. interesting about decadence is that decadence to me is returning to many of similar themes to De yes. death parade in a way that mob psycho doesn't and it's i think it's his attempt to like take what is like reformist about death parade and make it abolitionist right like mm -hmm. death parade is like shows you a system and it shows you how messed up that system is but then it like just kind of leaves you like okay well the system goes on whereas decadence really feels like he's trying to feel like okay what would it take mm -hmm. to actually destroy a system like this but then it he doesn't quite know how to make that happen and it's really interesting to kind of think about that in 
in the DNA of Death Parade because Death Parade, I think, also struggles to figure out where it stands and in the system that it creates, mm-hmm. whether it's more reformist or a- abolitionist. Like, is it, yeah. are we just trying to reform judgment so that judgment is fair? Or are we trying to just like get rid of the entire concept of judgment entirely? And I don't think it can always decide what it wants. And that's mm-hmm. what makes it really interesting. And that's actually what makes me like it. Yeah. You know what? That, that does make sense. Um, you know, I feel a lot of the, um, the disappointment kind of came from like, especially, a lot of people just from a very like more simple gendered perspective, which I'm not saying that, you know, gendered perspectives are always necessarily simple. You know, there's a lot of complexity to talking to, about gender, but there was a lot of uh, disappointment in kind of the shift of shift in perspective from uh, Natsume to Kaburagi can we have a story that is that is about revolution um about abolitionism that also focuses on female characters why does it have to be one or the other but anyway we're not talking about decadence today except um in the context of talking about kind of uh, tachikawa's recurring themes and you know i do think decadence is a kind of a closer sisters series to death parade just because it is you know tachikawa's creation um as well as death parade but i also feel like mob psycho 100 does kind of its themes are very complementary to death parade Mm. yeah because i'm it did it's not a it's not tachikawa's own creation however bones is not the kind of studio where they're going to be like okay this is the series we're making and you're gonna direct it and you don't really have much say in it um, Bones is a as a studio puts a lot of emphasis on creative its director's creative freedom and their artistic voice and also like there's a lot of care put into that adaptation so I don't think it would have come out the way it does if Tachikawa didn't really have a lot of feelings about it and about the themes and because Mob Psycho 100 kind of focuses on belonging and how belonging helps you be the best you can be and the importance of being a kind and good human over being powerful yeah because it's it's much more working with like deconstructing what it means to fit in and also like how fitting in doesn't have to mm-hmm. be a cruel thing like you can find you know i <laughs> almost use that very 1990s term of find your tribe which is horrible but like find your grouping <laughs> i think like you can find mm-hmm. people that you fit with um verse but i think like the emotionality of mob certainly you can see like that as a companion piece to death parade mm-hmm. where emotion also is like a huge kind of cornerstone of that series death parade does not function without emotionality right and i think like a lot of mob psychos themes are are similar to death parade in the sense of like learning how to understand that other people have just as complex lives as you do right even Mm -hmm. if you're more powerful per se than them that and then how do you move through the world knowing that their lives matter just as much as yours does yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um and i think mob is about um like i said it's about belonging it is about 
finding where you belong and how that helps you as a person. And in Death Parade, it's pretty clear that a lot of the time when you're bringing out the ugliness in people, that ugliness stems from a lack that they had in their lives. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very complementary. It's kind of the, you know, the opposite. It's two sides of the same coin. Almost. Two sides of the same coin. Exactly. There's a good uh, uh, cliche for what I'm trying to say. I could definitely see that. Like these intimate character portraits that happen every single time, like almost every episode of Mob Psycho. Very similar to Death Parade mm-hmm. in that sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot about the, um, gosh, I can't remember the characters' names. It's in the second season. Oh, no. It's the one where, where Mob becomes trapped in a girl's mind. I love um, that episode. Yeah, oh, my yeah. God. Oh, the best they're amazing. Of anime of all time. <laughs> yeah. So Tachikawa isn't a super prolific director, but what he does, there's a really strong sense of um, themes of uh, particular narratives that he keeps returning to. I wonder if part of why he is not as prolific is the kind of churn we're seeing of anime nowadays, which is a shame because like, I did think while watching this, um, Death Parade could not exist in 2022 as a brand new show. One, it's one core, it's 12 episodes. And it's just like, it's a little too, how shall I say? It has too much depth. Challenging. <laughs> it's got too much depth for a 2022 series. Oh. Like, uh, which, which like, you know what? I'm not dissing you, Super Cub. You came out last year and you revolutionized my entire life. But most anime series nowadays, I don't think they have the time or the budget, which is also what kind of makes it stand out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like the word challenging for it. Yeah, I should say challenging because there's a lot of deep anime. <laughs> and also depth is not, you know, it's not the end all be all. Opera Ranman, I chose for my favorite anime the year it came out. And it's, that's not deep, but it's fun. And I, it made me happy. But yeah, Death Death Parade is challenging. It has a lot of darker themes. Um, creators have commented on the current landscape of anime production they really like there's a lot of pressure to kind of keep things light and i i I suppose that's kind of what i mean by depth is not like Mm -hmm. depth of content because i think there as someone who likes slice of life like i think there could be a very uh, harsh critique of that Mm -hmm. not being depth but i found a lot of comfort in slice of life Mm -hmm. and i find the narratives really um make me think and i think that's what i mean is that Mm -hmm. because of the constant churn there's not space for anime that are if an anime is evocative like i think of azokin i don't does any no one talks about that anymore it passed and like you have this really evocative anime that challenges you and kind of pushes the limits of what you can do but you can't do that now with Mm -hmm. how much stuff comes out you just can't anime production has definitely moved towards comfort food and power fantasies yeah Oh, the number which, of isekai. Oh, yeah. Uh, no. Which which is troubling because the number of isekai with slave in the title makes me wonder whose fantasy is this. Um, mm-hmm. Well, that's a whole discussion for itself. Um, so now my question for you guys is what is your history with Death Parade? How did you end up watching it? Um, you know, I just watched it when it came out like and then i bought the blu-ray and i rewatched. it i was like this would make a really good episode 
I don't have like a deep history with Death Parade. Mary, you mentioned to me when we were talking about doing this that this is like one of your favorite series and you've watched it five times. Yes. So I first saw this um, about two years after it came out while I was living in Japan. Um, so like it kind of came at this really interesting time for me because I, I moved to Japan in 2016. So it's been, I move about five seasons after the show premiered because this was a winter 2015 anime. And I remember a friend of mine was like, hey, there's this anime I've been wanting to watch. It's called Death Parade. Do you want to watch it? And we started it and we did not stop it until that evening. It turned into like an impromptu sleepover. And it kind of hit for me on a very personal level because I was having maybe one of my most prolonged states while living abroad. Um, It had just been a hard year. 2017 for me was um, a year before I got like back into therapy. And so like I watched the show and it was just incredibly cathartic. And it's kind of a show that I have revisited almost once a year. I think I didn't watch it in, I didn't watch it last year just because life schedule busy, but like, it's kind of one of those shows that I loop around to because there's just something about it that every time I watch, I get a very, very new kind of perspective and it, it provides this comfort because I think, especially for me, I'll say during the pandemic, part of what part of why I've watched it. I've watched it. I think maybe it might be six because I've watched it twice this year, this second time. Um, it's like, it's offered this really interesting catharsis in the middle of the pandemic, an event where if arbiters were to exist, they're very busy. And like, that's on, on one hand, like that's, that's a, that's a kind of little bit of black humor, but on the other hand, it's very, very frightening, right? Living in a world where um, life is, very very uh ephemeral right now mm-hmm. and so yeah like this this show is something that really this is like if someone asked me in a decade what my top five anime are this is probably still going to be on there yeah mm. it's just really impactful mm-hmm. do you feel like you discover new things every time you watch it oh i discovered new things this time <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, like I because because and part of that is affected by getting older. Part of you know I I have very different thoughts at thirty than I did at uh, however old I was in twenty seventeen, twenty five maybe. I don't know. Time is fake, but like I uh, I definitely like this time a lot of a lot of what I discovered was very influenced by um, what's happening in America and by living in America again. So yeah, yeah, I'm always finding new things with Death Parade. Tony, you just recently watched it for the first time, and I remember you having a very strongly negative reaction to the first episode. Oh yeah, that, it's <laughs> funny. Like, so I, I mean, I was, I was going through a lot of the time. I and you know, I was having a hard time. I just moved to a new school. Things were challenging, and so I put this on, and because I know that people at NFM like it. And I watched the first episode and I'm seeing these two people torture each other until and have like some of and like say horrible things about each other. And I'm like, what is this edgelord thing? Why am I watching this? Why do you all like it? And I, I, I want to just kind of post that on Twitter. Like, what is going on here? <laughs> Does it get better? And there were a everyone, lot of distressed everyone... Discord messages. <laughs> yes. Oh, no. I got, I got 
definitely people, you know, in my mentions being like, including Caitlin, being like, keep watching. It's not what it looks like. And sure enough, you know, episode two pulls a decadence reveal where it's just like, womp. Actually, it's a big, gigantic, oppressive system. And we know it's oppressive. It's framed as oppressive. And I was like, okay, okay, here we go. And then I was like, okay. And and after that, I, I felt like I was I really enjoyed watching it because it was engaging with a lot of things that I've been thinking about over the last couple of years in terms of um, just judgment and how and I've been thinking a lot lately about organized abandonment which is a concept I'll get into later but just the idea that like certain people in society are systematically abandoned by society and then judged for what they do when they are abandoned right yeah and you know and it's really poignant in how it critiques that and how it like explicitly calls that out and especially as I was thinking about like my interactions with my students and how people, t- how my some of my co coworkers would talk about my students or like, you know, how I would think about my students and like, a lot of the way I look at anime is very much informed by my teaching. And I was just thinking about like how do I, how do we make sure that we're like not coming from a place that. Like when we look at children who are experiencing these kinds of organized abandonment, how do we not look at them with that kind of judgmental like mindset? Because you know, where where a kid is either you know s- deserving of our education or, or whatever we're going to give them, or just cast them into the void, suspend them, throw that kid out, you know. Um, and I'm also writing an article on Penguin Drum, and this is also making me think a lot about Penguin Drum and like what it has to say about about similar themes. So it was just really exciting to be watching it at the same time as I was like watch, rewatching Penguin Drum and like um, thinking through like um, these these issues. And um, yeah, it, it's, it doesn't always have like the most like satisfying answers, but I don't think it's intending to. I think it's intending to ask mm. a whole bunch of questions and then have you just kind of sit with those questions and be like, huh. Yeah. I, yeah. I fully agree. And I feel like the ending with um, Nona makes that very clear that it's saying we it's not easy to just change a system and we don't have answers about how exactly to do that as it went. That makes sense, though. You know what I bet drew you in? That theme song. Though. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Theme song, though. Oh, my oh. gosh. An right. all-timer. All time with theme song. Like it slaps so hard. <laughs> like complete, oh, complete tonal too. dissonance with the show. Totally. Well, but, see, but see, I I actually will argue that I think it fits the concept of the memento mori. They're mm. celebrating celebrating existence. Yep. You gotta. I mean, you gotta live it up until you can't anymore. I feel like it matches. It it, it really. Yeah. <laughs> I also feel like it brings out the kind of irony of, like, playing, like, childhood... It's almost Squid Game-esque and, like, playing these childhood games to decide the ultimate fate of your life, right? Um, and so it's... it's So the kind of having a playful OP, you know, kind of matches that, I think. Matches that mm-hmm. sense of irony that the show is trying to create. Well, and especially, I think, when you think of some of the games, like, Air Hockey is a game that I associate with, like, 90s 
like 90s kind of places of play like Chuck E. Cheese and like that roller rink in your town that like had the really good greasy pizza and hot dogs. Like you don't think of air hockey as like a do or die. (laughs) Like how messed up would it be if you were at Charles Entertainment Cheese's joint and he was like, you gotta hit the puck. Otherwise you die. It would be like, you don't think of that. There's a disconnect Mm -hmm. there. Like, and it's, it's that kind of thing of like, I do think, yeah, the, the opening kind of like undercuts. Yeah. These games that we think of as just fun are really being like elevated. Mm-hmm. that makes sense especially like have you guys seen the original music video i i have oh i sent it to you tony you did oh I my god i'm embarrassed i'm sorry it's okay. it's okay i forgive you um <laughs> you do need to watch it though it has a gambling motif which mm-hmm. also kind of fits in with the game's in the show and also the lyrics are very much about living and growing and is also a celebration of being a life being being a life being alive Mm -hmm. yeah so i i think the op the op works really really quite well um it, it is it's and it also works really well against the ending because the ending is kind of much more what I think you would expect for the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's much more kind of pensive. It's much more reflective. <sighs> I don't like that ending. I I. What? I mean, I'm a. I, it's I'm, like Creed it's, or Nickelback. Oh, don't Nickelback this anime, I'm Caitlin. Crying. You know what? No, I stand by it. It sounds like something that you oh would hear gosh. on the fucking radio in, like, I don't even know what decade. Oh, my God. Like, Catch in the, in the mid-aughts. No. Yeah, okay, okay. It's, it's, it, it is. It's it is butt rock. It is. It, nothing wrong with butt rock, but it is what it is. <laughs> Listen, I think it works when the needle drop hits right when they like smash in the dude's hockey pucks. Just like, damn. I think it works for that moment. Does it ruin that moment for you? I'm kind of with Tony on this, Caitlin. I'm sorry. (laughs) I mean, it worked in that moment, but I just don't like the song. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Yeah. But you know, in the opening, I just, it, Every time it shows, ha- every time I watch Deckham and Chiyuki dancing, I'm just like, oh. it's so good. So good. It's so good. It's, I mean, it's great dancing animation. Also, like, I ship it. Oh, yeah. I, th- yeah. I think it's a really, <laughs> they're a really good pairing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about the characters a bit. Um, especially since, I kind of in the notes I have them kind of in pairs because they're kind of set up as foils to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so Deckham and Chiyuki uh, touched my heart deeply. Love them. I don't remember too much about my first watching, but I do remember my just absolute distress that I felt for the next episode preview for the episode 12 when Deckham is like crying I'm just like why is Deckham crying what's happening it, it's, 
And like that that scene is oof, that scene is so good. Like Deckham is really fascinating. Um as kind of the concept of like a character who is acting on pure logic. Um yes. of course, you know. Of course it is it is revealed that that is not quite the case. Um love him. Love him. That I don't know if we should talk about that ending now, but I I definitely like had to think about that. Like, how does that color my feelings about Deckham that he ultimately after that old maid game, after learning the whole story of her life, of Chiyoki's life, he still puts her through that hell. Like, yeah, hmm. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. like, no, I, I really don't know how, how that makes me feel about him. Like, whether that's, like, the last vestiges of his belief in the Arbiter system that he has to purge, or, like, if that's, like, whether he just made a really messed up choice, you know? I'm, I'm going to say that we are going to have to circle back around to that, because yeah. we're going to have to talk about abolition, abolitionists. Uh, versus revisionist and that's where that's going to kick in real hard <laughs> okay. oh yes yeah i do want to well just at a face value you know we can we yeah. can do a face value discussion oh, first cheeky. and then come Love back her. to things later i do like i do think that just in terms of plot i think mm-hmm. that he did need that experience because it messed him up like yeah. seeing him mm-hmm. seeing himself put someone that he cares about well, he that. finally saw. He finally yeah. perceived humanity. Yeah, he he was he felt so much guilt and shame from doing that. Doing that with Chiyuki. Yeah, it 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 really drives home the the kind of consistent narrative that I think all three of us can probably agree, which is like to choose what you're going to do with a life is a weighty decision and it needs to be, it necessitates that it is, but it also necessitates that it has emotion mm-hmm. um, because it's not, it's not a game of air hockey. It's not a game of pool or darts, like a human life. There is a cost and that cost is tangible. Somebody's going to have a bad day. Mm-hmm. I really love Deckham to bring oh, things back to the, just purely love him so much. Oh my, he, I love that. Because it would so be so easy to create a very boring, quote unquote, emotionless character. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but he's just—he's weird. He—he's weird. He's a he weirdo. Can't smile right. <laughs> oh my he god! Collects, he collects mannequins. Um, <laughs> yeah. A, I love him. I love him. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And like Chiyuki's great too. Like they're really great as a pairing, just like in a neutral sense. Like they play off of each other visually very well. They play off of each other like um jokes and kind of through lines and mm-hmm. commentary really well. Love them both. They have yes. really they have really strong chemistry. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and I, yeah, once again, not just speaking purely in a shipping sense, but in terms of how they play off of each other. Um, their personalities kind of mesh very well. Um, I also, I really enjoy out, even outside of the, the very big emotional scenes where she is getting upset at him for, you know, judging in his once again, quote unquote, emotionless way without considering the context, without empathy. Um, 
just like the little moments that they have together, I think mm-hmm. are really fun. When he when he's making they're making the roast beef sandwiches together in Quindecum, which was fascinating to me that arbiters need to eat. Yeah, I wonder. I see, and I couldn't figure out if it was a need to eat or they just do it for the enjoyment of it. They have like they have right. a whole cafeteria. I thought the little, like the little glimpses. It's a whole world. It's a whole society there. Yeah, because yeah, they say it's just Nona's tower that she's in charge of this tower, but it's never said how many towers there are. It's also interesting that like very rarely do we ever get a glimpse of outside, other than like the outside is a top floor, right? But we never see out really outside the tower except in like the subway, presumably. Which I don't know if that goes from tower to tower or what. Mm-hmm. But like, we like it, a, yeah, we get like a brief glimpse of like them eating in the cafeteria, but yeah, we don't really go outside of outside of Nona's domain. Yeah, yeah, because what well, Nona's on the ninetieth floor, Quinn Deckham is on the fifteenth, Ginty's on twenty, and then like we have the basement level where um, information is, and that's really yeah, it's it's this really contained kind of world. Which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a real, really just visually, just visually cool looking sort of, not it's because it's not the afterlife, really. It's, right. it's a transitional point. It's mm-hmm. a liminal point, except yeah. that it's, there's this whole society for whom it's not a liminal point. It's only liminal for humans. Right. Um, yeah. Speaking of other people, it's all a liminal, liminal point for Ginty. Oh, Ginty. Oh, oh, Ginty. Trash boy. What an asshole. What a I, piece of shit. I like how mean he is. He's, so, he's terrible. I was trying to figure out whether he was actually going to send light to hell. Because, like, part of me wants okay. to... Okay, but light... Actually, but I have no idea. Like, light from Death Note is just makes an appearance in this show. Okay, so I just noticed that on this watch, and I was like, is that Light Yagami? okay i was shook now in fairness light i don't say this a lot about a lot of people light Light deserves to go to hell yeah i mean like it's in the death note so like yeah he he does do a lot of murder (laughs) an unscrupulous amount of murder so like maybe light is being judged by them in maybe a correct way. <laughs> yeah. No. But Mayu I, doesn't know that. Um, I really love does. Mayu. I I love how feminine she is and how unabashedly girly she is. Um, I love that she has a, a teddy. She has a teddy bear in her hair and it's great. <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. I don't know if that's still a thing, but I remember when I lived in Japan, like. Disneyland would sell hair like hair accessories that were like that, like little stuffed animals, like on headbands. It's great. Um, She's yeah. also like really feminine and also a gremlin. Like just, yeah. I she she's just so horny and so <laughs> and so like honestly painfully relatable at times but also in like a way where i'm like oh no i'm looking in a mirror at something that i probably don't want to see um yeah i 
I really like her. Honestly, justice for Mayu. Justice for Mayu. She, she, she does not deserve what she got. I mean, she, she sniffs the pop idol and she's like, I can smell his sweat. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Oh, or she's like excited at the idea of him seeing her panties. Yeah. And well, she's feminine, but she's like, she's feminine in the quote unquote wrong way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like she's, mm-hmm. she's like a gal. Um, yes. And she, she dares to feel sexual desire. Um, yeah. She's, she's not like, you know, the sort of ideal Japanese femininity of being quiet and gentle. She's loud. She's, um, she's crass. Horny. She's, she's kind of, her fashion sense is kind of gaudy. Um, and that's why we stand a queen. And that's why we love her. Um, watching her death scene though was kind of wild because, um, Jared, for new listeners, my husband, for the frequently mentioned Jared, uh, almost died one time from falling in the shower. Oh, no. Oh. In a different, like, not not with me. It was years before I met him, and it was in a different way because it wasn't head trauma. He fell on the soap dish, and it shattered, and it sliced his back open, and he almost bled out. Oh, no, Jared, you got an anti-slip mat, bro? (laughs) Oh no! I'm glad he's okay. Yeah, I'm glad too. <laughs> um, uh, you know, actually, I do want to. I want to go back to Chiyuki a little bit because I feel like mm-hmm. we did not talk about her enough. Um, because mm-hmm. she's such an awesome character. She mm-hmm. is. She co- like she kind of ended up in this situation coincidentally. Like she remembered that she was dead, even though she wasn't supposed to, so she couldn't be arbitrated. And then she just ended up being because because this is fiction, and things just end up working out sometimes. Just kind of the perfect foil to Deckham, mm-hmm. um, to someone who has a lot of thoughts and feelings about fairness and justice and how you can't just judge people on a certain thing. And maybe that is was part of Nona's design that she's sticking this girl with Deckham because she and Deckham are going to be able to work it out in particular. Um, oh, wow. And, and, you know, that that makes a lot of sense, because when you think about the way that the that like Deckham and and Ginty and and all of the kind of arbiters talk about humanity, it's in these very almost simplistic views of like humans are going to human and Mm -hmm. humans are these specific set of traits. And, you know, even if they don't look like it, we have these devices and these ways to bring out those traits in them. Because mm-hmm. cause when they use the term, like, to, they when they elicit the emotional reaction, it's just kind of bringing out the nastiness that is very, um, I would say is kind of, like, instinctive as a reaction when you're really afraid is, like, you know, it's, it's this desperation. It's not really who these people are. Um, and in some cases it is. But yeah, like I, I think having Chiyuki there adds his humanity because you right. can't just surface level read a person and say, well, oh, they reacted this way. You have to consider a lot more. 
Mm-hmm. I also because... feel like Chiyuki's interesting because she has so many different ideas about like she I think she goes back and forth depending on how hopeful or despairing she's feeling or what she's arguing about whether or not humans are so complex that they cannot be understood or simple and mm-hmm. and and I think it's really interesting because that like her going back and forth about that I think also represents a lot of the shows kind of going back and forth about like how do we understand people? Are they enormously complex creatures that have all these different sides that can never be understood, right? Or are they people who, ult- in, you know, in which case, you know, does that mean that they are ultimately solely responsible for their actions because only they can understand themselves? Or are they, like, you know, simple that you enough that you can manipulate, like, and... And and she's you can see her going back and forth about this idea and like mm-hmm. kind of wrestling with those ideas as she's kind of contemplating her own death, as she's contemplating the system, as she's fighting Des- Deckham over and over again. And it's really quite interesting to watch her use these different ideas about justice in her arguments with Deckham, of which right. she has and many. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think that's very true because I feel like for most people, how you feel about humanity will waver a lot uh, from day to day, hour to hour, minute to minute. You know, also both like both sides are correct, and I think because of all those traits too. Like I I know this is supposed to be a face value, but like it's hard to not get into the weeds with Chiyuki because mm-hmm. she is so complex and really does represent this kind of ever evolving feeling of like humanity like being human is is for it and i i choose to think for better is not a very like singular experience right it's not a very singular trait um it's very hard to pin down like a very specific like if you could use one word to describe humanity it the only word that comes to mind is alive for Mm -hmm. me like because you can't you can't do these singular readings and i think that it's it's good that we can't especially mm-hmm. when we're talking about a show that's talking about a system that we can like overlay onto very real life yeah. systems where if you do a singular reading um a lot of harm gets done mm-hmm. she's a complex character in a show about how characters how about how people are both more complicated than than you think and also yeah you anyways it's yeah <laughs> There's just there's so much there mm-hmm. and it's all it's all packed very well into just 12 episodes yeah it, it really this show really is a marvel of what you can do in a single core mm-hmm. and like i'm sure this is not the first time i'm going to say this while we're talking about it but i really lament that we don't get to have that anymore um, of like shows that they kind of just say do like they're an original idea a lot of things are adaptations mm-hmm. and we still do get original ideas like one of my favorite anime this fall season is an anime only original idea but which one oh it's aki aki from maid war uh well yeah okay aki it's, so war good. Good. it's so good oh my God. this season it's so, so good. Funny. it made me buy a light stick um <laughs> but it's the only show to make me laugh with a shot of a blender. I don't think any other show is going to make me laugh that anyway. a shot of a blender. Yeah, anyway. like, I, I kind of lament that a lot of shows aren't given that license. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's become less and less common as, you know, I mean, and it, it's kind of not possible, right, to have a show like this 
um, if you want, you, you can kind of choose two or three. You can either have time and like a good show or you can have a budget and a good show, but like you're going to have to sacrifice something. And like the show is kind of the trifecta and I really wish a lot, mm-hmm. um, a lot more original ideas like this could come about that are really, really um, provocative. This, this, yeah. Because watching this made me think of Akadama Drive, another show that like, yeah, was a trifecta and also um, says a yeah, cab. <laughs> planet, planet with the woman called Fujiko right. Mine. Like yeah. these are shows that, within the space of twelve episodes, tell a complete story that uh, tackles very complex themes. Mm. Now, I feel like we're ready to talk a bit about Ginty. Yeah, I I mean, uh, he's just, just a great worst. boy. Just a he's great boy. Terrible. He's terrible. He's, he's so boy. mean and I love him. He's so mean. And he's just like, <laughs> I love that he's like, I'm five floors above Deckham. I'm higher up in the tower. And then like, Clavis is like, doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, oh, Clavis. Doesn't really matter, my Love guy. Clavis. Uh, Ginty is great. Um, I will say on this watch, I found him a little bit more troubling because I don't think I've ever read. So here's the hard thing with reading race and ethnicity into a series where none of the characters are set on our world except Mm -hmm. for Chiyuki is that a character like Ginty that is ambiguously brown, um, him being so gruff and kind of rough and tumble compared to his fairer skin companions um doth not slap to some degree yeah it's a little and like you know I don't really have anything prolific to say about that other than like it's just that kind of like oh I never had thought about that before yeah Um, oh wow because because none of these characters have an ethnicity right like they're they're all divorced from right they're not they're not born into a culture right they're created and so like I don't want to necessarily read Japanese heritage onto like the fairer skin characters because we have Chiyuki who is Japanese. Um, but also it's hard not to, because they're mostly dealing with people who visually look mm-hmm. similar. Yeah. Right? Well, so, like, and Ginty also, well, Ginty's bar is also more traditionally Japanese. I think it is a deliberate kind of mashup. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that, like I said, I don't have big thoughts on, but I just noticed it, and I was like, "Huh, that." <laughs> mm-hmm. It's you know, and <laughs> it's also interesting because Ginty is like I don't know all the other characters. It's not just that they're light skinned; they are literally like Tim Burton, pallor of death. Yeah. Light, yeah, like hell in a bomb car to eat your heart out, and so, like, like, they're very, they're very starkly different, yeah. So, like, Ginty just having skin that is even like remotely similar to, like, I mean, when I see his skin tone, it reminds me of my own skin tone, like, as like a uh, you know, somebody from uh, my heritage is like from the Hong Kong area, and it's just like, wow, like, I interesting. That he's the one character who kind of looks a little bit like I might look if I had, if I worked out like 10 times as much and had yeah, and red hair. Just... <laughs> By the way, um, I just, I just glanced at the wiki. Ginty is six foot four. Jesus Christ. Oh um, Deckham is six two. Why are all these boys so tall? Oh boy. <laughs> well, uh, we 
Okay, Devin is not 6'2", because Chiyuki's like 5'7". She's 5'6", yeah. And she wears heels, and she's still not that tall. I I don't know. I don't know. I can't judge heights. I don't (laughs) know. Who knows? I'm not great. I mean, you also thought I was tall, so, you know. (sighs) Anyway. We should just all out our heights now (laughs) on the podcast. I'm five four. We talked about this before. Oh, right. I forget it because you got you have big five eleven energy. <laughs> um, I am I'm the tallest. So uh-huh, anyway, anyway. Um, yes. but I think Ginty and Deckham also make a really interesting pairing because of the the arbiters aren't supposed to have emotions, but they also have very clearly have very different attitudes and feelings towards humanity like Ginty is very cynical he hates humans honestly I'm surprised he even bothers with the arbitration process and he doesn't just look at them and go you to the void you to the void you to the void because he hates everyone so much yeah Ginty does not like us like humans it is interesting why it is that Mayu is the one who makes him second guess that because right. Mayu is the kind of person who, while we love her, a lot of people would find deeply annoying. Yeah. And, and, and I honestly, I might find her deeply annoying if I knew her in real life. Well, and I, I think part of why they work is that Mayu reveals reveals kind of the selflessness of humans. Like, even she she admits, like, that she is a very selfish girl and that, like, a lot of the things she does, she does and understands that people won't like it. But there's also a really deep vulnerability in that and saying, like, this is who I am and this is who I've chosen to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really respect her for that and, like, for her teaching Ginty that. Yeah. Maybe he'll be nicer. I think also, like, part of it is, like, Ginty is somebody who's always had his life, like, what it means to be a, a person, a person, you know, term used loosely, mm-hmm. dictated by somebody else, right? And here's somebody who is choosing who she wants to be, who she wants to dedicate herself to, so single-mindedly that it causes her to make decisions that make no logical sense, except through her own logic, versus him, who's always had all of his decisions chosen for him, effectively, other than, am I going to send this person to the void or not, right? But he has no choice about what he's going to do, and it's dictated for him. And I wonder whether he he sees her and is like, well, wow, somebody who's choosing who they want to be, even though it makes in, yeah, it, it, it is interesting. Like even in contrast with Harada, who I'm not sure Harada really loves oh, being an idol, for example, it. right? <laughs> yeah, dude, dude hates it. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I think I I do wonder whether there's a bit of that like existentialist streak of like. Well, she's chosen who she wants to be, and that's interesting mm-hmm. to me. And it kind of swings back to that humanity aspect of, like, I like to think that Ginty experiences that and becomes a kinder person. Maybe not, like, a softer person, but a more understanding person who, like, doles out arbitration with a little bit more thought. I mean, he's interested in humanity. Mm-hmm. Like, he is not, even if he's still kind of standing back from it he finds it interesting all right um which i want to talk about um the administrators and the managers of of death 
as well. I think it's also, I think it's really interesting how most of them wear um, like service people uniforms, like they're dressed yeah. like waiters, whereas Oculus wears um, Bermuda shorts and like he's dressed like a, he's dressed like a frat boy. I was going to say he's dressed like a dad. <laughs> Or dad, (laughs) yeah, no, he's he's definitely got like a very broish fashion sense. You know what? If it were a polo, it would be a frat boy. Button down is more daddish. You're right. Yeah, yeah. He's giving. He's giving. We need to leave by three. Otherwise, (laughs) there will be bad traffic on the highway. Oh my god! You just like. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. When I was first encountering him, I could not get a read on him. I was just like, who is this old dude? What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Is he just like, is he just old? Like, is he just kind of sad and like wants some company? <laughs> and he's actually the most frightening character in the show. Oh, yeah. Like the, the creeping menace, the lotus Literally. imagery around him. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene with Clovis mm-hmm. where he yeah. like reads his mind. Literally. Yeah. I mean, he is Oculus. He is, he sees I mean, he sees face. all. You know, um, a lot of just kind of creeping menace. Um, the design, honestly, the design work on the administrators is great. Um, I can't remember her name. It's the girl with like the dinosaur skull. Yeah, my own oh brown my god, character. I love her design so oh, it's much. Such a cute one. She's like she's like barely a character, but I saw her. I'm like. I love her. Mm-hmm. That's right. We we barely see her, and like she. Uh, every time I saw her, I was like, "Is this going to be the antagonist of the show?" <laughs> she looks. So she looks cool. cool. She must be a villain. <laughs> no, yeah, the she... least cool looking character is, is is the villain. No, she's she's definitely one of my favorite, and I cannot remember her name either. But it like, shout out, shout out to her. Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and and I mean, then you have Nona as a foil to Oculus, who like Nona kind of looks perpetually 19, 20. Oh, I would put her younger than that. Uh, 16? I put her more around like 13. Oh, okay. That's really interesting. I don't know. Um, uh, Tony spends more time with teenagers than I do. Yeah. How old? I would say she gives like. Oh. 15 she reminds me okay. a lot of my students at my uh, and i teach 15 year olds okay. so i can, yeah, I can she's, see that. she's really interesting to me because like you have this older man but nona has like been active for 82 years like she's been around she's been mm-hmm. kind of in her position for a really long oh, time castra castra shout out to castra <laughs> queen yeah, it, it's um I I do wish we had gotten more of her. Um, great character. By the oh. way, I'm looking at the wiki and in the comments for Nona's uh Nona's article, there are ship wars happening. Oh my god. Like this were like that were be that were being posted while the show was airing. <laughs> That's so funny. Who do people want to ship Nona with? Uh I mean Deckham. Yeah, fair. Bad reading, though, but... <laughs> I, 
Yeah, she's kind yeah, of manipulating like she's using him. him for this, you know, Nona's Nona's kind of youthfulness undercuts the fact that like she is kind of masterminding this really big I think it's fair to call it an experiment to see if she can upend a system. Mhm. Yeah, no, she's definitely kind of she has picked out Deckham as a test case. For like, kind of breaking down the system and exposing injustices. And it's it's a very neutral decision, but like neutrality can still be cruel. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the one thing that kind of is interesting because like Oculus is cruel, but so is Nona. Mm-hmm. They're just cruel from two very different angles. So Nona is also one of the Roman fates. Um, she was the one that spun the life of thread and creates the thread of life and creates life for mortal bodies. Okay. Which I think is, I don't have anything to, you know, analyze with that necessarily because I just learned that. But I mean, like she creates Deckham. Yeah. No, she is, she is intimately involved with death and life. And she has a greater interest in life than a lot of her peers. Um, because she is the one who is saying, hey, maybe this system isn't super fair. <laughs> the planet billiards are super freaking cool, by the way. Yeah, when can I buy that? <laughs> <laughs> so cool. You know, and kind of an interesting visual symbol for how these people are outside of the outside of the universe. They are outside of life. And it's all a game to them. I was going to say, it's a bit like the gods looking down from Olympus, right? Is, mm-hmm. is they're kind of just like, humanity's just an entertaining kind of curious thing. But, you know, they're also deciding our fate. Yes, I can see yeah, that. Absolutely. Um, I think there is a lot of very interesting visual symbolism going on in this show. Um, with... Um, kind of like the kaleidoscopic chandelier in in quindecum um the beauty of like the kind of the mosaics of their memories mm-hmm. um the kind of stained glass looking um deckham's spider sp- kind of his threads that are kind of spidery looking the mannequins there's just so much happening visually and we've been kind of talking about it in terms of storytelling and because like visual uh visual language analysis is not my strongest point i think we all three are more like literary people in terms of how we think of things yeah um although you're you're tony you do theater which has also the visual element to it but yeah do, do you have like i actually was wondering like in terms of someone who has a lot of theater training do you have any thoughts about like the staging and the um the kind of the the set pieces and things like that oh absolutely i have a couple of them i think the big thing that i noticed is whenever like I always noticed, took note of whenever the characters were being framed through the, um, the mm. aquarium. Like, you look at the character and one character's in the aquarium and one character's out of the aquarium. It would always be that framing. It would almost always be um, Deckham, who's on one side, and the humans that he's judging on the other, right? 
And that, that to me was like, felt like very symbolic of like, almost like you're looking through this kind of, um, through glass, through at this, like, how do I, like, it creates a sense of distance and separation and dehumanization of the human characters, right? Because it would almost always be the humans that were inside Mm. the aquarium, right? When you're looking at that framing. Um, I noticed that definitely. I'm thinking of other things, right? Like there were definitely moments where where they were like, um, where Deckham and Chiyuki were like muttering things to each other, and like were steps were like a few like like ten feet away. And I was thinking to myself, like, it's amazing <laughs> that these people don't hear them. Wow, because <laughs> they're 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 over here spoiling the entire thing. And these humans are just so preoccupied with their own things that they're not yeah. even noticing. I mean, that, you know, that is not terribly unrealistic. Like, these people are completely wrapped up in their own situations, justifiably so. Okay. Thank you for listening to Chatty AF. I hope you have enjoyed our discussion so far. Next time, we will get dig deep, deep into the themes that we kind of started to touch on this time, but then veered away from because... We're going to do a two-parter. Um, if you're listening to this podcast and have not found our website, it's at animefeminist.com. And we're also on Twitter at animefeminist, Tumblr at animefeminist. You like our, our cool crest logo, you, our podcast logo, you get a patch, a cozy hoodie, a mug, a bandana for your pet. So many different kinds of things at our store. Seriously, though, that logo is amazing. Take a close look at it. Um, I'm completely in love with it still. So good. good. Um, and if you really enjoyed our discussion and you want to support our work, you can donate to our Patreon. $5 a month gets you an entry into our discord and $3 a month. You can make suggestions for our podcast episodes. And we really just appreciate the support. Even a dollar a month goes a long way. So thanks for listening. Annie fam. Uh, next time we will be talking in greater depth about kind of the themes and their applications in real life. And remember, <laughs> this is remember to use protection. That doesn't really- <laughs> <laughs> it's from the Kari Kano episode. <laughs>